Contemplations before chanting. The Sangha is invited to come back to our breathing so that the collective energy of mindfulness can bring us together as an organism, flowing as a river with no more separation. Let the whole Sangha breathe as one body. Listen as one body. Chant as one body. Transcending the boundaries of a delusive self. Liberating us from the superiority complex, the inferiority complex, and the equality complex.
Good morning, dear Sangha. Good morning, dear friends. Today is October the 12th, 2013, and we are in the Deer Park Monastery for our second day of the retreat, finding our true home. This morning we, we hear the sutra on the better way to be alone. There are many sutras on, on that uh, subject, how to live alone. Because in the time of Buddha, he um, encouraged the monks uh, to, to practice uh, solitude, to live alone. But that does not mean that he wanted uh, us to uh, abandon society, abandon friends, and so on. So, there was a monk who misunderstood the teaching. So he tried to do everything alone. He went to the arm round alone. He walked, he, do, walk, he did walking meditation alone. He uh, sat down and eat alone. He uh, practiced uh, sitting meditation alone. He tried to avoid uh, other monks and so on. He tried, really tried hard to be alone. And other monks saw that there is something wrong in that kind of behavior. Because the monk seems to be proud of the fact that he was able to practice uh, living alone. So some of the monks went to the Buddha and reported that there is such a, such a monk who, who practiced like that and who claimed to be uh, uh, practicing the Buddha's uh, teaching on solitude. So that day the Buddha asked his attendant to call uh, that monk. We don't know the name of that monk because in, uh, in the sutra uh, they refer to him as uh, Tera. Tera means the venerable. I think uh, they don't want to record his name. <laughs> <laughs> and when the monk Tera came, the Buddha Ask him to sit down and ask him whether he uh, he liked to practice uh, living alone, and he said yes. The Buddha said, "How how do you do it? Please tell us." So the monk said, "Well, I went to the to the village and for the arm round alone. I don't go with other monks. I eat my lunch alone." I practice sitting meditation alone. I do walking meditation alone. I wash my clothes alone. I did try to do everything alone. Uh, the Buddha said that, uh, yes, you are, you are practicing to be alone, but uh, I have another way of uh, living alone that is much better. And I will tell you. After that, he, he taught the sutra on the better way to live alone, because there are ways to live alone better than the way uh, that monk uh, did. Mm. And uh, to, live, to live alone means uh, not to have a second, a second person in you. And that second is maybe uh, 
maybe the object of your desire, the object of your craving, the, the, the idea of happiness you have. To live alone is to, completely, to be completely satisfied with the here and the now, and you are not looking for anything else. Um, you go back to the present moment, and you recognize that uh, happiness is possible there in that moment. Joy, peace, uh, love, everything is possible in the present moment. And you don't need to run anymore searching for something. And that is uh, the true teaching of aimlessness. You do not put in front of you an object and run after that. Whether that is a fame or profit, or social recognition, uh, or central pleasures. And to live alone means you are, you, you, you have the first sense of fulfillment. You can be happy right in the here and the now. Because there are so many conditions of happiness that are already available and you don't need to run into the future searching for more conditions of happiness. So we have to understand the teaching of the Buddha on that sutra in that light. And not to uh, not practice like the other monk try to avoid people. Even if you go to the mountain and stay alone, but you still have, uh, uh, you still long for something, you still search for something, you are not alone. This morning when I climb uh, with you on, uh, on the hills, I practice um, arriving with every, uh, with every, uh, every step. And I have arrived is the, the deepest kind of uh, practice, deepest, the, the most beautiful Dhamma talk that you can give. It means that every, uh, every uh, breath helps you to arrive in the here and the now with satisfaction and fulfillment. And every step helps you to arrive in the here and the now. And you can feel a sense of fulfillment, uh, happiness. You don't need to run anymore for, 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 to search for, for something else. In this practice, uh, we know that enlightenment, happiness, joy, um, the kingdom of God, the pure land of the Buddha are all available in the here and the now. You need only to wake up uh, in order to touch, uh, to touch the happiness, to touch peace, to touch the kingdom of God, to touch uh, uh, the pure land of the Buddha in the here and the now. Uh, walking, doing walking meditation, um, you might begin by uh, making three steps while uh, breathing in. And you may say, I have arrived, arrived, arrived. And uh, if you do well, and then you can arrive with every step. 
you arrive in the here and the now with every step. But that is a challenge. Because uh, we, have, uh, we all have the habit of running. And that habit of running may have, transmitted to, may have been transmitted to us by our, our, our parents, our ancestors. The habit of running. And that habit is born from the belief that happiness is not possible now and here. You have to go into the future and search for more conditions of happiness. And since it has become a habit, it is pushing us. Even if we don't want to run, we still run. And that is why we need a kind of insight in order to, to, to really stop the running. Every, every time the habit energy of running manifests, uh, we, can, we must recognize it. Hello there, my habit energy of running, I know you. And if you can recognize the habit, uh, and then it cannot push you anymore. That is the practice of recognize, uh, recognizing. You, with mindfulness, you recognize your habit. And we have so many kinds of habits that push us to do and to say things that we don't want to do or to say. And uh, intellectually, we know very well that doing such a thing will create um, suffering to us and to the other person. Saying such a thing will cause suffering to us and to the other person. And yet, when the moment comes, we still say it, we still do it, and create suffering for us and for the other person. And then we regret. We said, how come that I already know that I should not say something like that, that I should not do something like that, and yet I still do it, I still say it. And you conclude that the habit energy is stronger than you. And that is why the practice of mindfulness is to, uh, to recognize habit energy. There was a young uh, American man who came to, to Plum Village and stayed in the upper hamlet. And uh, he was surrounded with monks and um, uh, lay people who practice uh, mindfulness of walking or breathing. And uh, one day he was asked to uh, go to the market to do some shopping because he was celebrating Thanksgiving Day. And uh, as uh, he is an American citizen, uh, he will, he will uh, try to make some kind of uh, cake, uh, uh, American uh, uh, way to place on the altar of ancestors for Thanksgiving, so he went alone to, uh, to do the some shopping. And during the time he was alone, he was not um, supported. 
I'm raised by the collective energy of mindfulness. So he lost his, uh, his mindfulness. Suddenly became um, the habit energy took over. He was trying to do things quickly in order to go home. And suddenly he recognized it. He recognized that the habit of energy of, uh, of running, of uh, trying to be in a hurry, to finish as soon as possible to do, in order to do other things, uh, manifest. And that is uh, uh, what he recognized. But because he had uh, already practiced a few weeks uh, in the upper hamlet of Plum Village, that is why he was able to recognize that habit. And he also recognized that that habit energy came from his mother. Because his mother is always like that. Always in a hurry, trying to finish things as quickly as possible. So he recognized the energy of, uh, of uh, uh, habit energy. And he said, hello, mommy, I know you are there. <laughs> and then he was uh, himself again. Uh, the habit energy uh, transmitted to him by his mother could not push him anymore, so he practiced mindful breathing, mindful work, and then finished his uh, shopping and went home. And he, uh, he told us the story. So every one of us has a habit energy that is pushing us to do, to say things that can create uh, suffering. And the practice of mindfulness helps us to recognize the habit. You don't have to fight the habit. You don't have to suppress, suppress the habit. You just smile to it. Hello, my dear old friend. <laughs> I know you. I know your name. The habit energy. And then uh, it will lose its uh, strength and it cannot push you anymore to do, uh, to say things that you don't want to do and don't want to say. If we do not practice, and then next time when the situation happened, we do it again, and we say it again, even if we don't want to do and to say it. And then if you have a co-practitioner, a brother or a sister in a practice, and that person may help you, when the moment comes, and triggering that kind of habit energy, and that friend can tell you, dear friend, be aware that habit energy is coming. So you have a supporter and you, you can be free from that habit energy until uh, we have got uh, a better habit, the habit of being mindful of what is happening in ourselves. Every time anger manifests, every, every time uh, 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 irritation manifests. Every time um, worry manifests uh, with mindfulness, we can recognize them and smile to them. And they will lose their strength and cannot push us to do uh, the things that can create uh, uh, suffering uh, for us and for the other person. So practicing walking meditation is, uh, is creating a new habit, a good habit of enjoying every step. Every step can 
help you go home to the here and the now. And that should, uh, should be supported by some kind of insight. Mindfulness is one energy. Concentration is another energy. And insight is uh, the third kind of energy. These three energies uh, are generated by the practice. And they have the power to heal, to transform. Mindfulness is the energy that helps us to know, to be aware of what is going on. Mindfulness is always mindfulness of something. When you breathe, and if you know that you are breathing, and then that is mindfulness of breathing. And the only object of your, your mind at that time is your in-breath or out-breath. And when anger manifests, uh, and if you are aware that anger is manifesting, and that is mindfulness of anger. There is anger as an energy, but also there is mindfulness of another kind of energy. And this energy of my mindfulness recognizes the energy of anger and embraces uh, it tenderly. No fighting, no suppressing. And when you are mindful of something, Suppose I'm mindful of this uh, flower. Very mindful of the presence of the flower. And then concentration is born. As I'm mindful of the, of the flower, I'm concentrated on it. So the flower is object of mindfulness and object of concentration. So we know that the, the energy of mindfulness carries within itself the energy of concentration. Where there is mindfulness, there is the beginning of concentration. If you are very mindful, and you begin to be concentrated. And uh, with mindfulness and concentration, we can, we can make a breakthrough and get insight. And that insight has the power to heal and to transform us. And that insight does not need a lot of time to come, provided that mindfulness and concentration are powerful enough. Suppose I breathe in mindfully with concentration. I can see very, very easily that I am alive because I know that uh, someone who is already dead does not uh, breathe in anymore. It's so simple that breathing in, you know you have, you got the insight that you are alive. And to be alive is something, it's a miracle. It's the greatest of all miracles. So when you breathe in, and touch the truth that you are alive, joy can be born right away. And when you breathe out, you can already celebrate uh, the fact that you are alive. And that is a very simple exercise. Breathing in, I know I am alive. Breathing out, I smile and enjoy life. I celebrate life in me and around me. 
sometimes uh, we want to release the tension in our body. The willingness to release the tension is there, but sometimes we cannot release. It's not because you want to relax that you can relax. Because uh, being tense maybe may, may have become a habit energy already. I remember that, uh, that time when I was sitting on a bus with a, a friend uh, who organized a trip for me in India to talk to the community of uh, untouchables. I went a little bit everywhere and gave them a talk and day of, days of mindfulness and retreats for them. We were sitting in the bus and I saw him very tense. He's sitting just on my right and I was contemplating the beautiful landscape of India. And I looked back, I saw him very tense. I said, dear friend, I know that you care very much about my well-being here, uh, but I'm fine, I'm very joyful, I'm very happy now, so please don't worry. Uh, sit back and enjoy your breathing. And he said, yes. <laughs> he sit back. He sat back, and I continued to enjoy the vegetation, the hills, the mountains in India. But when I looked back, I saw him tense again. <laughs> so that, that is the habit. Be a member of the, of the untouchable community, you have suffered many thousand years. You want to fight in order to get out of that situation. So the habit energy of uh, striving of fighting has been transmitted by several generations of ancestors. It's not uh, that uh, if you want to, uh, to stop it, you can stop it right away. You need training, some training. So walking meditation is a way to train us to live uh, deeply every moment of our daily life and enjoy every moment uh, that is given to us to live. One hour has uh, 60 minutes, one minute has 60 seconds, and every second, every minute is a jewel. And yet, uh, we don't profit from, from them. We allow anger and fear and worries to take over, and we, can, we do not have the capacity to enjoy. The minutes and the seconds that are given us to live, and that is why walking meditation is a very um, um, effective way in order for us to learn how to come back to the present moment and live deeply every moment of uh, our daily life. So when I begin. Um, uh, in front of the meditation hall, I take uh, three. I took one uh, in breath, and I make three steps. I have right. I have right. I have right. And because I have practice, I have the habit of practice. I can arrive one hundred percent with each step. That's a good habit. <laughs> 
if you are a beginner in the practice, you might challenge yourself. Uh, you go alone in one place and you practice slow walking meditation. You breathe in and you take only one step. And you try to arrive in the here and the now with only one step. You might arrive only 20%, uh, 40%. That's not enough. And you are not satisfied with that. So you, you don't take another step. You just stay in that position and breathe out and breathe in again. This time you might arrive 60% or 70%. But if you are not satisfied, don't make another step. Just stay in that position and breathe in again and try to arrive again 100%. And you don't need someone or a Buddha to tell you whether you have arrived 100%. You know it. And when you have arrived 100%, and then you should smile, a smile of victory, (laughs) and make another step. And that is a slow walking meditation. You can begin by yourself alone, because if you do that in the crowd, you create... um, (laughs) <laughs> so I, I begin with uh, three steps. I have arrived, I have arrived, arrived. And I enjoy, enjoy every step. Because when you have already arrived, you touch the wonders of life. First of all, your body, and then the Mother Earth. And each step like that can nourish you and heal you, and help nourish Mother Earth and heal Mother Earth also, because we are uh, part of Mother Earth. Mother Earth is inside of us. And that is going back to to our source. You go back to the source with every breath and every step. And uh, when I breathe out, I make five steps. Because usually our, our breath is uh, longer than our in-breath. So the rhythm I use is three, five. I have arrived, 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 I'm home, home. Home, home, home. And I enjoy home. My home is in the here and the now. And that is uh, the meaning of the teaching this morning. Um, the sutra on the better way to be alone. You touch your true home with every moment. You don't have to go and look for your true home. Your true home is in every step. Because the past is already gone, the future is not yet there. There's only one moment where life is really uh, um, available, and that is the present moment. And touching the present moment, you touch the, the, the here, and you touch all the wonders of life. And you touch the kingdom of God. You touch the pure land of the Buddha. 
I have found out that the kingdom of God is available on earth. And you don't need to go anywhere. Speaking, you don't need to die in order to go to the kingdom. You have to be very alive. And in order to be alive, mindful breathing is very helpful. When you focus your attention on your in-breath and breathe in, you bring your mind home to your body. Because usually in our daily life, our body may be there, but our mind is not there. Locked in the past or in the future or in our projects and worries. Lost in our uh, attempt to do something. When you spend uh, two hours with your computer, you completely forget that you have a body. And when body is not with mind, you are not truly there in the here and the now and live your life. That is why a bell of mindfulness helps you to go home and touch again life and all the wonders. And that is the kingdom of God. This flower, to me, it belongs to the kingdom of God. And with enough mindfulness and concentration, you can touch the kingdom of God in the flower. It belongs to the kingdom. And your body is a flower. Your body belongs to the kingdom of God. It's a wonder. We need to wake up in order to recognize our body is also part of the kingdom. It, it can speak to you about the kingdom. And you don't need to die or to go somewhere in order to, 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 to see the kingdom. The kingdom is uh, available. The problem is whether we are available to the kingdom. And in order to make ourselves available to the kingdom, the practice of mindfulness is helpful. If uh, you come from a Christian background, you know that in the gospel, the teaching of mindfulness is available also. In the gospel, according to, to uh, Matthew, St. Matthew, he said that you should not worry about future. Let the future take care of itself. Let take care of the present moment. Go back to the here and the now, and you have the kingdom. You have peace and happiness. And uh, if we do it correctly, and then we enjoy every step. It's not hard labor, it's enjoyment. Walking meditation is an enjoyment. Remember one day someone from Le Monde, the daily newspaper Le Monde came to Plum Village and we invited him to join us in walking meditation. He suffered a lot. <laughs> because we, were, we went slowly and we enjoyed every step. And he was not capable of uh, slowing down and enjoy every step. 
while all of us enjoy every step and find, find it nourishing and healing, he suffers very much because he is not used to walk in that way. He can only run. And that is why he, he reports to us um, that the walk is exhausting. <laughs> exhausting. But in fact, if we know how to do walking meditation, every step is nourishing, relaxing, making us uh, stronger. So it depends on the way we walk. And it is not hard labor. It is a joy to walk. You walk in the kingdom of God. The kingdom is there, and we should learn how to enjoy the kingdom with our breath and with our steps. We coordinate our breath, our breathing with our walking. You might begin with uh, two steps while breathing in. I have arrived, I have arrived. And then when you breathe out, you make three steps. I'm home, home, home. And later on, uh, you may like to change it into three, five, provided that uh, the number of steps make you happier. You have to, to listen to your lungs, how many steps they want you to make while breathing in. And when you begin to climb the hill, uh, naturally the number of steps will diminish from, uh, from uh, four, six, four, six, we come uh, three, five, from three, five, it may come uh, two, three. Use that kind of rhythm that fit uh, you the most. That's my, uh, that's the way I, I, I feel. And there are moments um, sitting uh, on the mountain because uh, the day after tomorrow we will climb on the mountain and we sit there uh, uh, and breathe. And uh, your in-breath may last six seconds and your out-breath may last nine. And sometimes uh, it is, uh, it can come up to 10 and 15 and you always enjoy. You don't make any effort. You should not make any effort. Just, just the number of steps, of seconds that make you happiest. It's not that a long in-breath is better than a short in-breath. Whether it is long or short, the essential is that it makes you happy, it makes you comfortable. So the, the practice should be pleasant. And when you enjoy the practice of uh, walking or, or breathing, and then the practice will begin to heal you and to nourish you. And uh, very often I use words uh, to replace uh, the number. 
like uh, one, two, three, I can say, I have arrived. I have arrived. I am home, home, home. And I, and uh, this is not a oral uh, declaration. It is a realization. You must practically feel that you are at home. Your home is in the here and the now. Your, your true home. Because in your true home, you find your ancestors, your children, your grandchildren, your future. You find the kingdom of God. When uh, the bell of mindfulness sounds, every one of us should uh, stop uh, talking and thinking, because the thinking takes us away from the here and the now. And you, you begin to breathe in, and we say, I listen, I listen while breathing in. And then when you breathe out, you say, this wonderful sound brings me back to my room. And three times, and we can enjoy deeply uh, our in-breath and out-breath. And we breathe in such a way, we listen to the bell in such a way that uh, peace and joy can penetrate into every cell of our body. Deep listening. We know that uh, our parents and our ancestors are fully present in every cell of, of our body. They have not died as we, we believed. No. They are still alive. They are fully present in every cell of our body. So when you listen to the bell and breathe in, you invite all the cells in your body to join you in listening. And together with the cells, all your ancestors of, of many generations will join you in listening. And you become a we. You are a community of cells. You, and you are the continuation of your ancestors. So it's better to say, we listen. We listen. This wonderful sound brings us back to our true home. And we breathe in in such a way that the energy of mindfulness, peace, and joy can penetrate into every cell of our body. And our ancestors can smile and feel that kind of freedom and happiness in us. Maybe our father, our mother, have not got the chance to practice uh, deep, uh, peaceful breathing like that, working like that. So we do, we are doing it for our father, our mother, because our lungs. We, we believe that it's our lungs, but that is also the lungs of our mother, and our father. We invite our father, our mother to breathe in. 
uh, with uh, our lungs because these are also their lungs. And while walking, you can invite uh, your father to use your feet and to enjoy walking. Father and son enjoy making a step. Father and daughter enjoy making a step. And your heart will feel with, be filled with love. We walk together. When you make uh, a peaceful, uh, joyful, uh, happy steps, all your ancestors do it with you at the same time. That is the real thing. That's the reality. Because you do not have a separate self. If you remove ancestors from us, there is no us left. So uh, I, I often in, uh, invite my father, my mother, my ancestors uh, walking with me. I invite my teacher and the Buddha walking with me. And I never feel separated from, from them. Because I am continuation of my ancestors, uh, spiritual ancestors and blood ancestors. Wherever I go, they go with me. So walking meditation can be very deep. And listening to the bell can be very deep. You listen in such a way that all your ancestors are listening at the same time with you. And you bring peace and joy into every cell of your body. And that uh, makes it easier for our body to heal and to be nourished. The Buddha spoke about uh, four kinds of uh, food, four kinds of, uh, kind of nutrients. He said that nothing can survive without food. And it depends on, uh, on the kind, what kind of food that we can stay ha- happy, healthy, and joyful. And the first... Uh, uh, first kind of food called a nutriment is uh, edible food. That is the kind of food uh, that uh, go in our body through the way of the mouth. And our health and our joy our peace depends very much on the way uh, we eat. We eat in such a way that can preserve uh, compassion. Because without compassion, one person cannot be happy. Without com- compassion, you can 
you cannot relate to any living beings. So the Buddha recommend that we eat in such a way that can retain uh, uh, compassion in our heart. He talked about uh, a young couple who fled his, their country. They had to, uh, to, to, to cross a desert. And the couple uh, brought with them their little boy. Halfway to the desert, they ran out of food. And they knew that all of, all of them will die. And that is why they made a very uh, terrible kind of decision. They killed the little boy. They eat the flesh of the they ate the flesh of the little boy to survive. Every day they ate one of one morsel of that flesh and kept the rest on the shoulder to dry. And each time having finished eating one piece of that uh, that first, they beat their chest, they pulled their hair, and they asked, where is now our beloved baby, our beloved little boy? But finally, they got out of the, of the desert and was accepted by, as a refugee. The story must, must have been a true story, uh, the Buddha um, here from, from that couple. So uh, after having told the story to the monks, he, he said, Dear brothers, dear friends, do you think that the couple enjoy eating the flesh of their son? And uh, the monk said, Dear teacher, it's impossible. Impossible to, uh, to enjoy eating the flesh of your own son. The Buddha said, In that case, let us eat in such a way that can preserve uh, com- compassion in our heart. Otherwise, we are eating the flesh of our sons and daughters. In fact, uh, the way we eat has harmed a lot the world. Uh, tens of thousands of children die every day. Uh, because of the lack of food, and uh, thousands of uh, acres of forest are being cut down because we need uh, the meat um, industry is uh, devastating um, the planet, polluting the planet. And we have used an enormous amount of grain in order to make alcohol. And that amount of grain should be used in order to save children from dying because of hunger. So if we eat a lot of meat like that, if we drink a lot of alcohol like that, we practically eat the flesh of our daughters and our sons, ruining uh, the health of Mother Earth. So... That is what the Buddha recommended. Mindful eating. You can eat uh, healthy and well. 
you can refrain from using too much meat and alcohol. And scientists told us that if uh, we can reduce the eating of meat and the drinking of alcohol by 50%, we can already change the situation of the world. The second uh, source of nutriment is uh, sense impressions. This kind of food we don't consume with our mouth, but with our eyes, ear, nose, body and mind. When we read uh, an article in a magazine, we consume. When we watch television, we consume. When we listen to music, we consume. When we are having a conversation, we consume. And what we are consuming should be health sane, health, healthy. Because many of the items we consume, including uh, conversation, are toxic. When you talk with someone and uh, what uh, they tell you may be full of despair, anger, hate. And while listening, you are consuming these uh, toxics. And children, while watching television, playing uh, electronic game, can consume a lot of violence and anger and fear. And that is why there must be a strategy of consumption to protect ourselves, to protect our family and our nation. They are trying to to sell their products in order to get more money. But you have to be careful. You have to refrain from buying and consuming the products that bring into us many toxins like fear, anger, despair, and so on. That is the second source of nutriment. You have to be very careful for our health and for public health. Uh, school teachers, parents, um, congressmen, senators, uh, members of the uh, of uh, of the city council, they have to reflect on this in order to uh, protect us, protect uh, the people in our city. Imagine a neighborhood who is very angry which is very angry, full of violence and hate. And if you happen to, uh, to live in such a place, you are consuming the collective energy of anger, of despair. That is another kind of, uh, of, uh, of uh, nutrient called consciousness. But if uh, we do not protect ourselves, we will be producing that kind of energy.
the third kind of of of, of nitman is called volition. The 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 will to act. Volition here means uh, your desire, your deepest kind of desire. <coughs> it gives you a lot of energy, food. Of course, uh, we have daily concerns. We want to have enough money, uh, comfort, uh, and affective uh, material comfort and affective uh, comforts. But we also have uh, an ultimate um, concern. We want to do something with our own life. We want to realize something meaningful, long-lasting with our life. My life is not only for searching for material comforts, uh, affective comforts. I want to do something meaningful with my life, and that is volition. And we have to sit down and identify our volition. What do I want to do with my life? And that is a source of nutriment, the will to live, the will to do something with our life. The Buddha also had uh, a strong volition. He wanted to uh, practice and liberate himself in order to help uh, people, other people to suffer less. That is a good nutriment. A terrorist can have a strong volition. He wants to punish. He has a lot of anger. He want to punish, and that is the energy that helps him to be alive, to do the things he wants to do. A terrorist might be, uh, might have uh, perceptions that are not uh, correct. Mm, they they might think that they are punishing evil people in the name of God. And they, they think that they are going to die for God. These are the, the perceptions they have. They are ready to die in order to punish the people who should be punished. And uh, the volition of a terrorist is made of these kind of things. Anger, the desire to punish. Or maybe... Uh, uh, the kind of belief that uh, you are doing that uh, for God, in the name of God. Uh, next week we will be uh, offering a day of mindfulness for employees of uh, Google. Google. And we have a day of uh, practice for uh, 
of corporate leaders in Northern California. And uh, we are going to talk to them about volition, what is uh, the kind of motivation behind everything. Uh, Google asked her to speak about intention, insight, and innovation. And intention is uh, equivalent to uh, volition. The problem is that uh, I think they they are they they want to uh, to feel that uh, becoming a rich person there is nothing wrong with that. Is it wrong to have a lot of money? Because uh, to have a lot of money is a volition. To succeed in your, in your attempt, to succeed in your cooperation is a, a, a volition, a motivation. We cannot say that to have a lot of money is an evil thing. Because if you are full of uh, compassion, insight, and then you know how to use that money in order to help people suffer less. But if you are, you are destroying your body and your mind uh, in order to have money, that is not good. So what is your volition? And many of the corporate leaders have found out that um, the purpose of their life is not just money or fame or social recognition or rising stock price, but happiness. Last month uh, we talked, we spent one day of my, with uh, the World Bank. Uh, practicing mindful walking, mindful sitting, mindful lunch, and one person uh, in a in a question and answer uh, session, one person asked about um, the willingness to become number one. That is a uh, volition, and. Uh, I said that, well, uh, you have to choose between being number one or being happy. (laughs) (laughs) If uh, becoming number one, you suffer, it's not worth uh, becoming number one. You should be happy. And if you are truly happy, full of love, understanding, and peace, and then to be number one does not harm you. But if you become number one, while you have to cause a lot of suffering to yourself and others, that's not worth it. And the day of mindfulness in World Bank is very successful. People love it and they want to follow up, uh, follow up with the practice. And this is the second time we have a day of practice with uh, Google people.
suppose a corporate leader when he uh, he uh, he parked his car and walked to his office suppose he he knows how to do walking meditation there must be corporate leaders in this uh, uh, this sangha and from your parking lot walking to your office if you know how to enjoy every step if you can touch happiness joy the wonders of life the kingdom of god in every step it means that you can you have the capacity to live in the here and the now you don't need to become a number one in order to be happy because working like that you are already happy so with that uh, capacity of working and enjoying every step you are free from that kind of uh, habit energy of running pushing you and uh, making you full of stress and tension so as a business leader walking from the parking lot to your office if you know how to do it you become a different person already and of course uh, you'll be uh, a much better uh, uh, corporate leader because you have peace you have happiness you have joy you can generate joy happiness fulfillment with every step uh, you are not running like a mad person to uh, the goal uh, you to become number one and uh, success uh, is not something that can that that uh, contradict uh, happiness and happiness is is in this, is itself uh, uh, a success you 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 will not be victim of that kind of success if you are successful in creating joy uh, love uh, understanding and peace you never become victim of that success but uh, to be number one is a success that can cost your life and so on. There was a lady who came to our retreat for business leaders and she told us about her life as the wife of a business leader. Frederick was young and successful business leader in Germany and Laura is very proud of her husband. but as he continued he did not have time for himself for his wife and for for their son because he had to maintain success so first of all uh, laura um, uh, tried to forget that kind of loneliness because he did not have enough time for himself for her for their son so she uh, she uh, they went to the university and she uh, she learned 
uh, for a degree, a more, more degree. Uh, she uh, did uh, charity work, but did, that did not help very much. And the uh, night when she cried of her loneliness and so he was completely sucked on his business. The desire, the volition to be number one. And he said, Dear Laura, nobody can replace me now. Uh, I will try my best. Maybe in three years I can find someone that can replace me and I will have more time for you and for our son. And that is uh, what he promised. But one month after that, he was killed in a car accident. And they replaced him in three days. And uh, that uh, lady came to our retreat and told us the story. So there are many Fredericks uh, (laughs) to be. And they have to learn from that lesson. They have to stop running. They have to arrange so that they have time for themselves and their beloved ones. They have to to take care of that success first and not to lose themselves in in a desire to to succeed in their cooperation. If our volition is to create job for many other people, if uh, we have the time to take care of ourselves and of our cooperation and make uh, the cooperation into a kind of family, a kind of sangha, and then happiness is possible uh, every day. And then the outcome, the product, um, the success will be uh, will profit uh, many other people. And, and if we suffer as a leader, we suffer as a corporation. And then you cannot say that uh, you have a good uh, volition. We have organized uh, a few retreats for congressmen in Washington, D.C., and senators. They told us the life of a politician is very hectic. And uh, many of them wrote us and said that uh, from their office, walking to the place where they cast the vote, they always apply my walking stop the thinking, just walk and feel uh, the joy of walking every step. And they said that uh, that practice saved, saved them. They can survive thanks to that kind of practice. So I think walking meditation alone can already help a lot. From the parking lot to the place where you walk, where you work, if you know how to enjoy every step, touching joy and peace and the kingdom of God, the pure land of the Buddha with every step, 
you can be yourself and you will not lose yourself in your attempt to realize something. And the Buddha uh, also uh, gave the teaching to groups of businessmen. Anatta Penika is uh, was one of the dearest lay disciples of uh, the Buddha. Anatta Penika uh, offered the Buddha um, a park that he had purchased from a prince and offered to the Buddha as a practice center. And he loved serving the Buddha and the Sangha. He came uh, for every day of mindfulness. He, bring, he brought his uh, family. And he took a great deal of pleasure uh, practicing and serving the Buddha, the Sangha. And one day he brought uh, many hundreds of friends in the business uh, circle to come and see the Buddha. And that day the Buddha gave uh, a teaching. Uh, He understood, he knew that businessmen, they think too much about the future. So he said, gentlemen, you don't you, you should know that it is possible to live happily in the present moment. So in that sutra, uh, the Buddha offers ways to live, practicing the five mindfulness trainings, practicing uh, recollection of the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, and have happiness right in the here and the now, and not uh, trying to look for happiness in the future. And the expression, live happily in the present moment, was repeated five times in the discourse. Dhrista, Dhamma, Sukha, Vihara. Hiện Pháp Lạc Trú. What is happening in front of you in the present moment? Happily, living happily in the present moment. Vihara means to live, to dwell. Sukha means happily. Dhristadhamma is uh, the present moment. And that is why I have said that I have arrived. It's the deepest teaching. It's the best Dhamma talk. I have arrived. If you have arrived in the here and the now, and if you are capable of touching the wonders of life in that present moment to get the nourishment and the healing, you are practicing, practicing the true teaching. Every breath can heal, every step can heal and nourish.
Yesterday, I said that when we breathe in and um, focus our attention on our in-breath, many things happen. First of all, the mental discourse stopped. And then our fear, our anger, our, ang- our, our fear, our uncertainty about future will stop. And also our regret and our sorrow concerning the past will stop. Because we are focusing only on our in-breath. And we find out that ah, we are alive. And we can smile to life. That kind of freedom, that amount of freedom we get by breathing in allowed our body to relax. And as you can relax, the healing begins to take place. If you are still under the pressure, and then the healing is difficult, even if you take a lot of medication. So every step, Every breath should bring us to the here and the now so that we can truly arrive. And truly arrive, we can experience peace and joy, the joy of life, of living. The first exercise of mindful breathing is uh, in and out. You practice being aware of your in-breath and out-breath. Aware of in-breath and out-breath. The second exercise of mindful breathing is uh, is to follow your in-breath and out-breath all the way through. Breathing in, I follow my in-breath all the way through and that promotes concentration. And mindfulness and concentration are together and you get insight very easily. And then the third uh, exercise of mindful breathing is breathing in, I'm aware of my body. You bring your mind home to your body. And when mind and, and body are together, you are well established in the here and the now. And it takes only three seconds to go home. And as you are home to your body, you might notice that there is a tension, pain in your body. And that's why you practice the fourth exercise. Releasing the tension in the body, calming body. And as I have said, 
it's not because you want to release the tension that you can release tension right away. There should be some kind of insight. Like, uh, I have been running a lot. And I have not found peace and happiness. And that is why I should be able to stop running in order to, to, uh, to have true peace and happiness. I have seen many people with plenty of uh, money and fame and power, and yet they are not happy. Why do I have to run like them? And that kind of insight helps you to really stop and release the tension. So it's not, it's not that uh, you want to release the tension that you can release. You need to have some insight that uh, you have been running, you have been seeking for peace, uh, for happiness. And the more you do, uh, the more stressful tends to become. So that is the insight. With that insight, you can stop and release the tension. And if you, you feel um, you can release the tension, you feel uh, peaceful, and your body begins to heal itself, you know that is the good path. And with uh, the fifth exercise of mindful breathing, you come to the domain of uh, feelings, and you are able to uh, bring in, to generate a feeling of joy. And with the sixth one, you generate a feeling of happiness. A good practitioner of mindfulness can always generate a feeling of joy or of happiness whenever she wants. And the principle is simple. When you bring your mind home to your body and establish yourself in the here and the now, you notice that there are so many conditions of happiness that are already available. And you are, you, you are much luckier than many other people. And it is possible for you to be happy right here and right now. You don't have to run anymore. That kind of insight helps you to create a feeling of joy and happiness right away. You can tell your partner, darling, don't you think that you are very lucky? Point to him. Show him that he is lucky. Person much luckier than many other people. In fact, we have more conditions than enough, more than enough conditions to be happy. Just recognize them. Like uh, breathing in, I 
I'm aware of my eyes. And suddenly the insight comes, oh, my eyes are still in good condition. They are blind people, they cannot see anything. I have eyes in good condition. I need to only to open my eyes and then I enjoy the paradise of colors and of forms. You are in a paradise. And you don't appreciate the paradise because you don't have mindfulness. So mindfulness is a source of happiness. Because mindfulness helps us to recognize the so many conditions of happiness that you already have. And that is why for a practitioner, generating a feeling of joy and of happiness is possible at any moment of, of their daily life. You can do it for yourself and you can help your partner, the other person, to do it. And that is the art of happiness. Using mindfulness, not money. You don't need money. You need only mindfulness. Mindfulness is a source of joy. Mindfulness is a source of happiness. And then the the seven exercises. You need the seven exercises when a painful feeling a painful emotion comes up. And a good practitioner never runs away from the pain. She tries always to be there for her pain, her sorrow. And she's not afraid of being overwhelmed by that pain, that sorrow, because she, she is capable of generating mindfulness. With mindfulness, you can recognize the pain and embrace it tenderly and suffer less after a few moments of practice. And you can also uh, make good use of the collective energy of mindfulness of your group, of your Sangha, uh, to recognize and embrace your pain, and you get a relief. So the seventh exercise of mindful breathing is to, to recognize, to be aware of the pain, painful feeling, and the eight is to calm it down, calming the pain. So this is uh, the art of suffering. This is the art of happiness. The Buddha said that when there is uh, pain, you should not exaggerate. You should not amplify your pain. And he thought about um, the second arrow. If someone is uh, hit by an arrow, there is a pain. But if he allowed the second arrow to come and strike exactly at the same spot, the pain will not only be double. It might be 10 times, 20 times stronger. So when you have something, some pain in your body or in your mind, don't exaggerate with your anger, your fear, your imagination. Don't amplify that. Recognize it as it is and do not uh, imagine, do not uh, exaggerate. Do not let your fear, your anger, to make it uh, 10 times stronger. If you need, you can consult a friend, a teacher, or a doctor, and not to imagine 
and to allow your fear, your anger to take over you. And then if you know how to generate the energy of mindfulness and recognize your pain, embrace tenderly, you you will get a relief after some time. When I was a young monk, I believed that the Buddha does not suffer at all. Because uh, it seems that everybody believed that. And I found out that the Buddha does suffer because he has a body, he has feelings. From time to time, um, suppose uh, one day the Buddha learned that his uh, beloved disciple, Sariputra, died. And of course, uh, a teacher, uh, when he's, he knows that his uh, beloved disciple just died, he has to suffer. He is not a, a, a piece of rock. He's a human being, the Buddha. And then he, he also, um, from time to time, he has a headache because he has a body. Sometimes he suffers of the cold. Sometimes he, uh, he has some uh, stomach um, problem. The Buddha, because he has a body and he has fallen, he suffers like everyone. But because the Buddha has a lot of wisdom and compassion, uh, as he knows how to suffer, that is why he suffers much, much less. The fact is that if you know how to suffer, you suffer much less. And you can make good use to the suffering in order to create uh, something positive like compassion, understanding. And that is uh, what we shall learn tomorrow. When you suffer, when you know how to suffer, when you know the art of suffering, <laughs> you suffer much less. And then you can make good use of uh, the suffering to create uh, understanding, compassion, and happiness. It's like uh, someone making good use of the mud in order to grow lotus flowers. <laughs>